So please continue to pray for these little ones. Um, we hope that one day, each and every single one of the kids that came uh, to our day camp these last two weeks, um, that the gospel will take root in their heart and that somewhere along the line, um, the Lord will cause it to bear fruit. Um, so that's, you know, again, for all of you that served, I know a lot of you were part of it and involved in it, and yeah, thank you for that. Uh, as a continuation on from our series so far, we, if, you, if you've been here the last few, we also welcome freshmen uh, to, our, uh, to join heirs, our college and career fellowship. I know this is a, a larger group, and I know it can be intimidating, but you know, we would love to get to know you, the pastors here and some of the other counselors here. Um, it is our joy to try to come alongside you and try to help you know God and to draw close to him. Uh, but yeah, we're just glad that you guys are here. Uh, don't be intimidated. This is our, you know, I know it's a bigger group, but we are all one in Christ, so we can find unity in that. So uh, these last few weeks, really for our summer series, we're going through a, a series on the topic of stewardship. Uh, first, we went through knowledge and how all the things that we've learned, all the things that we've acquired, things that we know about Scripture, we're called to be a good steward of it in our own lives and the way that we teach other people. Uh, then we talked about um, time, and we talk about Christian liberty, and uh, you know, with the term, in terms of time, Tim tried to remind us about looking at things from an eternal perspective, that this life that we have, we need to learn to number our days uh, so that we could be faithful with the time that the Lord has given us. Uh, Joe taught us through Christian liberties, and it was a really good, it was a great sermon in terms of helping us understand what areas are actual sin and what things are just preferences, and what does the Bible say in terms of what, are, what areas um, that should cause us to reconsider if we are a mature Christian, whether that means we're restraining ourselves from certain things or having freedom to do other things, and, then, and, not to really, and, and to not judge one another regardless of where you stand on whatever issue it may be. Uh, Levon taught on the stewardship of the mind and how what we put in and what influences our mind is going to have you know, we're, called, we're called to be good stewards of our minds, so we have to take care of what we think about. And as Christians, we understand that we need to renew our minds daily, that it's, our, our fallen nature is corrupted, and we don't usually think the things that we're supposed to think. We don't, and we need to constantly go into God's Word, hear God's Word, pray about it, so that we can have the mind of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about the stewardship of the body, and this is not, uh, this is not a message about what type of diet you need to have or how many push-ups you, need to, you, you should be able to do to constitute faithfulness. So if you came for that particular reason, I'm sorry to disappoint. This is not a workout seminar or anything like that. Uh, but really the main focus of this message is about how we can honor the Lord with our physical bodies. It isn't so much about what you need to eat or what you need to do. Those things are under the Christian liberty category. And if you have questions about that, you can maybe talk to your own doctors and they can tell you if you are overweight or underweight. But either way, um, you're called to be faithful with the vessel that God has given you. And I do know that when a sermon or a topic about the body, it can make people think in terms of the extremes. And I hope to just give enough biblical principles for us to think through how we can honor the Lord with our vessels. Now, the word stewardship is going to be used throughout this series. And again, the word stewardship is this idea that you are held responsible and you have to give an account to the Lord in what God has given you. So whether it is things like time or resources or your mind, there is an appropriate way to use your body in a way that glorifies the Lord. And I think the Bible gives us principles and even commands of what we are allowed to do with the body and what we're not allowed to do with our body. 
a world has no clue when it comes to how they're supposed to use their body. Uh, sometimes the world is completely obsessed in terms of what they need to eat and work out and you know, counting their calories because they want to live as long as possible. There's certain things that they will not eat. Uh, they, they, they will deny themselves of certain things just so that they can know what's going on inside their body. In the other extreme, there's some people that just have complete lack of self-control. They just indulge in everything because they think that they feels good. And in both extremes, we understand that those are, un- those are unbiblical because there is a right way to think about it. And we know from the Bible that God has made each and every single one of us. We are supposed to use our physical bodies for his purposes. And somewhere down the line, we are going to talk about work. But uh, just so you know that one of the things about your physical body is that you're supposed to work and work is a good thing. You work because uh, God has given you the ability to work. You're made to do stuff with your body. And those things are all confined in the pages of Scripture, the principles at least. Again, we know that in Psalm 139, verse 13, tells us that God has knit us in the womb of our mothers. We are created by the Lord. And to be a good steward, as we've heard last few weeks, involves to manage our bodies well and for us to use our body in such a way that God has intended it. In order to do that, we must know what the Bible has to say about our body. And, we, and you, know, you read Genesis, the human, you know, Adam and Eve, they said, he looked at them and said they were very good. You know, God made them from dirty, breathed into them. They have life. So it's good. Uh, so that our physical bodies are actually good things because God has made it. Now, for this evening, I would like to invite all of you to go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to jump, through, jump around 1 Corinthians. Um, where there's a few passages here, I think, uh, that, that speaks a little bit about what the, what the Lord expects of us in the body. And I'm going to jump around to other verses as well. But the main book of the Bible that I want us to think through, or at least for this argument about being a good steward of the body, is found in 1 Corinthians. A little background about the Church of Corinth here. Corinthians is... Is a very vain culture, and, and what I mean by that is that this is a culture that is just obsessed with pleasure in the things of the world. It's a place where they are obsessed with living for the moment and for immediate gratification. And sexual sin was a rampant issue in the city, and that there was a church there. It was hard for the Christians at that time in this church to not be influenced by the ways of the world, to not be influenced by what they're seeing and what they have experienced in the past. They were people that were trying to be free, to live a a sin-free life, but they had their struggles. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is really correcting a lot of things that they got wrong. Uh, Paul had this letter, uh, he got news of what's going on in in, in the church of Corinth, and in in this letter in particular, he's trying to encourage them to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, to cast out all of the things in the past and to not live in darkness. This church, although a church that Paul loves, we'll see in 2 Corinthians, the eventual will turn on him, but in this letter, they, they begin to struggle with sin, and it seems like they're backsliding back into their old life and forgetting the fact that God actually loves them. They begin to have the heart turned to loving the world instead of loving God. And Paul here has this heart for this people, and he's trying to course correct them. Christianity has a view of the body that is radically different from the world then and even in our time. In fact, one of the, the, the thoughts around this time in 1 Corinthians was that 
the body was a prison for the soul. And there's this dualism mentality that, that it's, 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 there's just two distinct parts of you. And the soul is, is somehow bound and shackled to the body. And the result of that is that they did not take their body seriously. They didn't care what happened to it. And, the result, and, and sometimes they developed these two extremes on how they're supposed to apply this philosophy. Some people abuse their body into subjection or, or they indulge in completely. Those are two extremes. They either hurt themselves, they will like lie in beds of nails because they feel that this, is not, uh, this body is useless and I'm just trying to get rid of the body. And there's the other extreme where you just indulge in whatever you want. Their view of their body, they thought, didn't affect their soul, so they could just do whatever they feel, felt like. And some of these people used to, in the, in the Corinthian church, held to that view, and they're trying to break away from it. And you understand, even for us, we understand what this is like. We live in San Francisco. This is a, this is a city that has no idea what God's intent for the body is. Our church lives in, in a city that's like Corinth. This is a very wealthy city. It's a very influential city, and there's a city that advocates sin. And perhaps some of you, you were redeemed from a particular lifestyle that you once promoted and God rescued you from it. And it's because that Christians need to have mastery over their body. And I think that's what Paul tries to argue kind of throughout this book. That for the believers here in Corinth, they need to be a good steward of their body. They understand that their body is not their own. Their body is a good thing. It's made by God. And there is a way in which you possess this vessel in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. In order to be a good steward of your physical body, you need to have self-control over your body. If you were to steward your physical body well, it is less about um, attaining a certain physique, it is less about how much you can lift or how much you can bench or how, how long you can run. It's not any, about any of those things, but rather it's about how you can live your life in accordance to the scriptures. And my hope with this message is to give us a, some biblical commands and principles and, and even some practical, ap- practical application on how we can possess our bodies well so that we can glorify God with our bodies. Being a good steward of your body, you must know what your body is not meant for. So this message, I'm going to go from the negative, things that you're not supposed to do with your body. If you want to glorify God in your bodies and be a good steward of that, here are things that you need to consider. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians 6, and the first point is this, that your body is not made for sin. Your body is not meant for sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul here, and just to give us a little running start on the context here, <laughs> there were people in the church that were suing one another. Uh, they were basically acting like the world. Instead of forgiving people that have hurt them, that have defrauded them, Paul challenged him to let those things go, to rather be defrauded than to sue and have these lawsuits against one another. Because, they had, because Paul tries to encourage them that they used to live a certain way, they, have to, they used to think a certain way, and they are different they, and because of what Christ has done on the cross. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. So in this context of 
tr Paul trying to help people, let, uh, to show grace to one another, that, that he goes on to make this argument about how we're supposed to possess our bodies. In verse 12, he begins by saying, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says that sin, although it's forgiven, it will cost you. There is a sense of, um, there, is a, uh, a, there is a cost to even sexual sin in this life. We continue going on. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with, with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for God, and the Lord is for the body. See, Paul is trying to convince them that they need to get their bodies under control. It is not designed for sin. Yes, things like food is meant for the body. In fact, intimacy or sex is actually good things in the confines of Scripture. The Bible tells exactly when that is the appropriate context for it, and it can even be something that is glorifying to the Lord. But outside of those bounds, these things are called immorality or sexual sin. And Paul is trying to encourage them that you're not supposed to use your body for sin. If you're not in control of your body and you allow yourself to fall in, in any sin, but particularly here about sexual sin, you will not be useful for the Lord. And perhaps for some of you, the reason why you're not effective in your gospel ministry, in your evangelism or ministry here, is probably your, because you're harboring some sin in your life. And Paul's encouraging he, us to think of that way, that our body is not made for immorality, but is for the Lord. First, um, Verse 14, now God has not only raised the Lord, um, but it will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your body, your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. You're, you know, Paul's argument here is that our body will one day be uh, glorified one day. And your body is good. God designed it. It's supposed to be used for him. Things like eating is a natural function. Um, even intimacy is a natural function, but it's not good for us if you go out of those. It, it's, it's a unique sin in that way because if you fall into sexual sin, there's this bond that's supposed to be meant that is no longer there. God designed it as a gift for married people and people in this time were living in sexual sin. It said that God will do away with food and your body will end, but you'll be brought back. And the point here that Paul's trying to make is that you don't want to use the body that God has redeemed for sexual uses. Don't use your body for sin, but be used by the Lord. And he even says that, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? We have this union with Christ, and we are with him, and he's in us. And when we commit some sort of sexual sin, it's like we're dragging Christ with us to not that Christ will sin, but we're dragging him along the ride when we sin. Verse 15 and 17 highlights the fact that we are one in Christ. And when we commit sexual sin, we're joining, we're essentially, it's almost like we're trying to join Christ with that prostitute. Again, that is an evil thing. Sex is not, it's not merely just some sort of biological thing, but it's a spiritual thing. It's designed to unite two people together. And when you have sex, you're joining with them spiritually and you're committing and when, but when you commit sexual sin, you drag Christ into the sin as well. And Paul is telling people to flee from immorality. Verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but immoral man sins against his own body. 
the solution to these types of sexual sin is to flee from it. And this is what Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 2.2, uh, where he tells Timothy to do that, to, to, to flee from, from uh, youthful lust. And 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us again to flee from sexual sin because it's the will of God, the will of God is for our bodies to be sanctified. Again, sexual sin isn't the worst sin, but it is a unique sin. It is a sin that affects you spiritually. And it's different from the rest of the sin because it's, it's built for something better. But sin distorts it and it corrupts us and the person that we commit this sin with. So how are we supposed to use this body? Well, we know that our body is not meant for not just sexual sin, but all sin. And every time when we commit sin, we're essentially, again, dragging Christ into it with us. You may be uh, gossiping and the Lord, again, if he's indwelling in, you're kind of dragging Christ along with you in that gossip. And how you use your body must never be a means for you to sin. This is every aspect of your body. When you, th- when you think about your eyes, what you look at, the things that you see, when you're committing those sins, you understand that the Lord is there and you're watching these things, these things that you're not supposed to watch with your Savior. Sometimes I think our culture, even in the context of the church, there are people who have this fear of missing out. So did you watch this new Netflix show or did you watch this new movie? And there's this obsession to just watch all of this, all these entertainments. And even if these things are, you know, sexually explicit or, or, or ultra-violent, you know, so there's a part of us that craves the things of the world. And that's not something that should define the Christian. Again, you have to decide using your Christian liberty of what is appropriate, but there are things that are clearly inappropriate, especially in our tech culture. It is difficult to control our eyes because it's all around us. There's just screens everywhere. Or when you think about what you listen to, what you hear is going to impact the rest of your body. When you listen to certain speeches or you're influenced by certain cultural philosophies, you might be lured to think like the world. When you think about your ears, your eyes, or what you do with your hands, or things that you say, all of these things, you can use your body to sin against the Lord and drag the Lord in your sin. There's a little children's song that I think some of you guys know, and we've sung this to our kids. uh, I guess we still do on occasion. Like, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father of above is looking down on us, so be careful, little eyes, what you see, and that, and that song is actually really great because it goes through every part of the body: your feet, your hand, your, your hands, your feet, uh, your heart, your thoughts, all of those, all the every physical part of you. You understand that God is watching. What you do with your physical body, and what you need to know about your physical body, is that it's not designed for sin. Be careful in how you use your body, and know that your body is not designed for that. Sin is what brought the world in. Uh, I mean, sin is what brought death into the world. Adam's first sin is what destroyed everything in creation. And on a side note, I do want to see that, you know, since we're in this topic that your body's not meant for sin, I think this is kind of appropriate for us to talk about how we dress, because I do think that this fits in this category. Again, this applies to both men and women. The way in which you dress can draw people's attention to you, or you can dress in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. If you dress like the world, that oftentimes you know, the world, the way they dress, it's designed generally to try to seduce. You dress like the world, and you're using your body as a way to cause other people to fall into sin. Again, for men, 
it's whether you dress nicely or don't dress, wear enough clothes, understand that God is not pleased with what you wear, but he, he cares more about what's going on in your heart. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 7, Saul was this buff guy. He was a very tall guy. He dressed really nicely and well, and everyone wanted him to be a king, and wanted, Israel wanted him, wanted him to be their king. But he was someone that was prideful, and it was basically useless for the Lord. And God says that he doesn't care about what goes on on the outside, but he cares about what goes on on the inside. And ladies, remember that God also cares about your character more than what you wear. And this is familiar in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, 4. You should, some of you ladies know this. It's about how you need to adorn yourself, not with braided hair or, or those clothing, or to try and make yourself look good. But the point is that you have godly character. So both men and women, we can't, we're not supposed to use our bodies as a way to draw attention to ourselves, especially if, it's some, if it promotes some sort of sexual desire. You, again, you'll need wisdom to try to figure out what is appropriate. But I think generally we know uh, what is uh, considered modest. Again, in this context, in 1 Corinthians, remember that this city brought, in, brought into the church worldly ideas. And one of those things is their se- sexual ethic. The world may have an excuse and reason why they justify why they should use their body for sin, but know that those are not the things that Christians are allowed to do. The world may try to find ways in which they try to tell you what you are supposed to do with your body. But understand, as Christians, we're, our minds are renewed by the Lord, and the way that we act, the way that we think about our bodies is for the Lord. Does it please the Lord? Does it cause uh, God's name to be glorified in the way that we dress, in the way that we act, the way that we use our bodies? It must never be used for sin. In fact, that's why in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is telling people that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it out. If your feet cause you to sin, cut it out. Better to, or if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better to have part of your body be destroyed than your whole body goes to hell. It's to say that your physical body matters, and you need to stay away from sin with your flesh. In 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul even warns them to avoid Israel's mistakes. All the mistakes that they made, whether it's idolatry, immorality, grumbling, or any sin, is because they have no control over their physical bodies. They can control their own desires and impulses, and that is what led them to sin. And that's why Paul encouraged them to remember their mistakes so that we can see the example of what not to do. You need to flee from sexual sin or from all sin altogether. Sin corrupts you, and you cannot expect to be a good steward of your body if you're harboring sin in your life. If you're enslaved by sin, you can expect to glorify God with your body. You can expect to be a good steward of your body and honor the Lord with your physical body if you continue to give your body into sin. Now, why is that? Which goes to our second point. Because your body is not your own. Your body is not your own. First, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Again, in this context, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is trying to encourage the people in Corinth to live in harmony with one another. They're living in sin, yet still calling themselves as Christians. They were apparently sinning against one another, and sometimes even with one another. And Paul is trying to warn them to not to continue in any, any lawsuits uh, that, will dis, that will bring disdain towards the name of Christ. Paul said, instead of trying to vindicate or defend yourself, it's better to be defrauded. 
Again, this is the context of, of how, how our body is supposed to be used for the Lord. And Paul tells them to stop thinking like their old selves. Paul here is using this Old Testament imagery of a tent. Uh, the New Testament idea of, a t- of is, is that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer's physical body. And people understood that when they're hearing or when they're reading this letter. They know that when he's talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's a picture of this intimacy and this union that all of us have with God. And we're supposed to, and then that's what determines who we are and how we'll live our life. Again, this word temple here, there's two words for the word temple. One of the ways uses just a general sense, of like in a worship hall. Um, you know, it's like the Jewish synagogue. That's how that one word is used. The other one here is actually means the very presence of God and dwelling in our bodies. He's saying that God dwells in you. He did this to remind us, shows that there's a dignity that, in fact, that we need to take care of ourselves because God is indwelling in us. We should take care of our bodies because God dwell, is, is indwelling in us. And what must be expected, this is, what, this is the expectation for all those who profess to be believers of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. For you have been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. Again, this is countercultural to us now and even back then. What is he trying to say? That you don't own your body. Christians, we understand that our culture says, like, no, I get to say what I want to do with my body. I have this, I can decide what I want to be. I can decide if I want to be a man or a woman or the other hundreds of different pronouns and personal, yeah, personal pronouns. I decide what I want to be. No, you don't. You don't get to decide that because God owns you. And God is one who decide, determines who you are and how you're supposed to honor him. All of us, before we were believers, we were born into slavery. And that's what actually the language here is, and you've been bought with a price. And there's different ways in which people get redeemed back then. One is through slavery. One is through conquest, like a conquest of war, and then they become slaves. Or they somehow acquire a tremendous amount, and they sell themselves into slavery. And whatever, and, I, and this imagery of how we were redeemed, how we are bought, is a perfect imagery of what Christ has done. Because we were all born into slavery. Uh, we were all, uh, we all were conquered by the power of sin, and we have created infinite debt due to our sin. But yet Christ purchased our freedom from our sin so that we may be set free, so that we're no longer held back by sin. We're no longer chained to sin anymore. We are free. Again, this is what the world, this is how the world thinks. That No, my life, my body, my rights, my choices. The main issue in our culture in the last 50 years all involves the body. You think about the LGBTQ, you think about the abortion issues, all about the physical body. And Paul says that, that you do not own your body. Rather, God owns your body. Someone who can, and because he owns you, he's the one that can tell you what to do. He's the only one that can tell you what would be most honoring and pleasing to you, and even what's good for us. It is God who made you, and Christ who purchased you. You're the temple of the holy God. And why would you drag God into your sin knowing that he is one who ransomed you out of your sin? And the people in Corinth, they, they thought that because they have freedom in Christ, and that means they can, free, they can freely sin as much as they want. And even though they acknowledge that Christ saved them from their sin, somehow there's a disconnect between 
that great gospel and then falling into sin with their bodies. You're not your own, but you were redeemed and purchased by our Lord Jesus Christ. Your life is bought with the, with the blood of Christ, and Christians don't get to say what they can and can't do with their bodies. We're all called to submit to the word of the living God. Our freedom is not freedom to sin, but our freedom is to say no to sin. Again, I'm arguing from the greater to the lesser here. In this context, a lot of it is about sexual sin. But if you can control your sexual urges, then you can control yourself in almost every other area because they're all related. If you have mastery over your body, you'll have greater victory over all the other sins in your life. Now, I'm not saying that if you, if you master this one thing, then you're going to be perfect. No, that's not, that's not what I'm getting at. But there is, again, some compelling thing about us in the flesh that if we can overcome this sin, then everything else, the same, the same biblical principles that we have to overcome one sin is going to be the same that we will use in another, in another area. And this is probably going to be the most countercultural point of this message, that our world loves to believe that our body is our own, and therefore you can do whatever you want with it, and no one is allowed to tell you what to do. And the truth is that biblically, again, our bodies are not our own. Especially for the Christian, we understand our body is not ours, and it's for God and because it belongs to him. He's the one who gave us life. He can, he, and, and we need to use our entire body to glorify him. If, you're, if you know that your body is not your own, that means that all that you do must be pleasing to the Lord. Questions you need to ask is, why do I do what I do with my body? If you're the kind of person that uses a certain diet or a certain exercise, those things are fine. But the question is, why do you want to do those things? Is it because you're using it for self-glory? Or are you using it for a particular lifestyle just, just mainly to glorify the Lord? I think MacArthur once joked about, like, this is weird that people are just exercising for the sake of exercising. And, and I like that idea because you're supposed to exercise for something, right? You exercise if you're an athlete, you're supposed to train for that. Or if you're exercising to stay healthy so you can be used by God. The point is that your body is supposed to be not for your own vain glory, which is, that happens a lot, right? I work out so I could post on, post on, the, on the websites or your social media so that people can just like my photos. And why do people do that? It's for self-glory. Being a slave to Christ means that you belong to him. Your whole body belongs to him. And you and I all need to honor the Lord with our bodies. If your body belongs to the Lord, how you use your body will testify to the world who you serve. Because your body is not meant for sin, it's meant for God. Being Christian means that your body does not belong to you and therefore is not your master as well. Which gets to our last point. Your body is not meant for sin. Your body does not belong to you. And lastly, your body is not your master. 1 Corinthians, jump forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is about Christian liberty. This is a a passage that I think Joe touched on a few weeks ago. First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul knows that relationship with God has nothing to do with outward works. So he, goes, he, he talks about how he, uh, he, for the Jews, he, he, he became a Jewish person so they could win the Jews. For Gentiles, he, became, he, he, he took on some areas of, of, of Gentile life so he could win the Gentile people. He knows that his liberty is in Christ. And he's willing to do whatever he wants. As long as it doesn't go against Scripture, he's free to do whatever he likes. As long as he's winning people to the Lord. He can enjoy whatever liberty and not care about human opinion, yet he's willing to let those liberty go if it means that he can win people to Christ. 
He understands what these Christian liberties are. And Paul chose to let liberties go if he wants to, because he wants people to see that his life is different. That the way that he lives, he's not mastered by his own desires. He's not mastered by any liberty. He seems to have mastery over his own body. It says in verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I may be all means, and uh, so that, that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So the passage I want to look at here is from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Do not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. You if you want to have mastery of your body, you need to have self-control. You need to deny your body. You not deny your desires that your body wants. He's using this athletic metaphor. And back then, it's not like now where, I don't know if they even do this now. Where you, I guess, are there training camps? Do you watch people's training camps for Olympics? You don't, right? I guess you, if you follow a particular athlete. But back then, when they're during the Olympic Games, uh, leading up to Olympics, people can watch all of them train. And there's a particular set of rules and diet that they have to have so that people are watching them. And so that, you know, they're, you know, basically there's accountability there. But there's also a sense in which these people are demonstrating to everyone what they're going to do and how much they're willing to sacrifice so that they could win this little reef, a crown that could, in a sense, immortalize them. These people, uh, the, Olympia, the, the marathon was like the crown jewel. It was like the, the, the main event of the Olympics at the time. They wanted to win. And Paul is saying that if you want to win, you need to be willing to let go of certain liberties. That's why he says, like, uh, do, you not, do you know that those that, who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you win. And, uh, and back then, winning these marathons and uh, these Olympic games, you're supposed to, you get actually immortalized. Uh, but being immortalized back then means that, okay, so we, you know, when we read the Odyssey, how many of you guys read the Odyssey back then? So you guys know that. So there's like, the one that we read in high school or middle school, whatever it was, that's like the abridged version. And the, the original original, there's actually like a, a part at the end where they tell you all the winners. Obviously, they, that, uh, it's, you know, we don't have it anymore, so they, you know, their more immortality thing failed. But it's supposed to be that they put their names there so you could recognize that, hey, this is the best runner or the best javelin or the guy that could kill lions. And Paul is just telling them that when they run, they're doing this thing for these perishable, they, these perishable things. Verse 25, everyone who competes on the games exercises self-control in all things. They do to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. These people denied themselves for this little wreath that dies in like three days. Again, there are really two kinds of people, those who have self-discipline and those who do not. And if you just think about it, just in generally, in, in just general life principle here, that people who are self-disciplined are usually the ones that are most successful in life. If you wonder why you're not getting up on, in work or you're not advancing as a student, it's possible that you lack self-discipline. And that's just a reality in every avenue. If you look at any athlete nowadays, you look at any successful person in life, they have self-discipline. There are things that they do not want to do and there are things that they are going to do. They're going to say no to the good things and say yes to the the great things, the, the best things. And Paul is saying that you need to have this, if, if these people are willing to deny themselves for something so little, well, what about us? We should be willing to self-discipline 
to have self-discipline on things that have eternal significance. Now, is this you? Do you live a disciplined life? What area in your life that you can see where there is a tremendous amount of just being undisciplined? And Paul is saying that those who are, they, these people are willing to do so much for so little, while we are, should be willing to give up much for things that, has, that have eternal significance. We are not denying ourselves to win uh, salvation, but rather we're trying to deny ourselves to win people to Christ. Again, that's what this context here is that when you are not mastered by your desires, it's this, it actually tells the world that you live differently. And that makes them want to know, how come you're not enslaved to anything? Again, it's, it's nice to see people like this last week when so many of you were willing to give up time and energy and resources to minister to our kids here. We've, there are some kids that, are, that have never gone to church before except for these last few weeks. And a lot of you gave up so much of your time and energy and, and planning and, and everything just so that you can hopefully invest in these little kids for eternal significance. There are people in this world that give up so much for so little. How much should we give up to win something that has far greater significance than the temporal rewards in this life? Verse 26 Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. This is strange because Paul uses this weird mixed metaphor here. He's trying to win people to Christ. He first talks about running, then all of a sudden he shifts and talks about boxing. What's he trying to get at here? And I think the point here is that he's trying to fight his own flesh. It takes a lot of effort and endurance in order to have victory over your own flesh. If you look at verse 27, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul's beating himself to, into submission here. This word discipline here is, this, is really the word for self-bruising. Like he's beating himself up. And this is, again, not like the way that the Catholic Church would whip themselves. It's just the point that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. Most people are controlled by their bodies, but Paul here, he controls his body. Paul doesn't want to be disqualified, so he does all he can. He, eats, he, he does all that is required and expected of him so that he can win people to Christ because he understands that if he's not disciplined, then he's going to be disqualified. He's not controlled or mastered by anything, even if the, these things are good things. He, his instruction here for us is to not be enslaved by any liberty. Again, the Corinthian church thought that since they are Christians and they are forgiven all their sins, they could do whatever they want. They're free in Christ, and they chose to be enslaved to their liberties instead of being free to do whatever they want. Paul tells them to give up whatever they need to win people to the Lord. Paul's willing to set aside everything in order to win people to Christ. And why is that? Because self-control is a mark of godliness, and godliness makes you a light into the world, and that's what's going to help bring people to saving faith. Part of winning people to Christ requires you to deny your flesh. Paul was willing to let any and everything go to, com uh, to compete in a way that would win people to Christ. He has self-restraint so that people can be free from their bondage of sin. And I truly believe that in our day and age, especially in our reformed circles, in our Bible teaching circles, that we tend to abuse Christian liberty. You know, the sermon that Joe preached on a few weeks ago, just think about some of the questions we have. I think some people know that these areas are 
liberties, but I think if they were to ask themselves, they know that they're actually enslaved to those liberties. Many people will agree with the principles, yet in their own lives, they show that these things are no longer liberties, but actual enslavements. Ever wonder why people in your home or your class or your coworkers don't take you seriously and your faith seriously because you act just like them? You have no self-control. You laugh at the things that they laugh. You even do the things that they do. You have no self-restraint. Even the things that are neutral, you find yourself just giving in so that you can be accepted by the world. I was listening to this MacArthur podcast, and there was like a little history lesson uh, this was an era that kind of escaped me. I was in high school at the time, so it was fascinating just to hear. And he talked about this movement called the Young Restless Reformed. And these were these young Christian Calvinists, people that we all hold to, at least the doctrines we hold to high esteem. They would hold to those doctrines, but in the way that they lived their lives, it was just like the world. And the reason for that is because they thought, well, we need to go to the bars to win people to Christ, so let's just go to the bars. Let's drink with them. Who's going to go unless we go? Jesus went to the bar and talked to tax collectors. And yet, over time, you can see those Christian liberties becoming enslaving to them to the point where they get disqualified. And unfortunately, there was a, a culture, even within the church, where they start pushing the line. And they got pushed so far that the world and the people in the church look completely identical. Because understand, people in the world do not understand Christian liberties. Only people in the church understands that. But to the outside world, they're just watching you. They're not, they don't have these doctrines. They're not thinking 1 Corinthians 9. They see you act like them. They see you dress like them. They see you talk like them. Then why, what's the whole point of this Christianity thing? In fact, it will be worse for them because you're, going, you're telling them, well, I act like you and then I need to give up my Sundays. No, they're not going to take you seriously if you live like them. You need to have self-control for the sake of godliness. And those same people, in those young, restless reform, they would use this exact passage about how I want to be a Jew so I could win the Jews. I, could be, I want to be like a Gentile so I could win the Gentiles. But understand that in this context, it's not about abusing the liberties. Rather, it's saying no to certain things. You would give up eating meat so you could win the Jews. It's not saying, okay, I'm just going to act like a Jewish person. Or I'm willing to give up certain liberties so that I could win people to Christ. That's the point of this passage. It's not trying to let you have a freedom to do whatever you want for the sake of your own pleasures. Rather, you're willing to give up certain liberties to win people to Christ. And that requires self-discipline. If you want to be a good steward of your body, you must never be mastered by anything. In this world, or even in your own, uh, yeah, you must not be mastered by anything in this world, even your own physical flesh. What you desire most will be the thing that controls you. If you love money, you will devote all your time and your mind to pursue it. To be a good steward of your physical body means that you have self-control over all the cravings that you have. Even things that, again, are neutral things. I've heard of a pastor that once said that they were perfectly fine with eating cheeseburgers. But one day they decided, oh, I could eat cheeseburgers. He just said no to it. Just to see if he can say no. And then the other people tried the same thing where they would just... Have, just, just to see if they have the ability to say no to things that it's perfectly fine. Or even waking up. 
You have, he has, his, the point is that you have mastery over your body because you're not moved by what your body tells you, but rather you're moved by the Spirit. Having mastery over your own physical body is not just about what you're not supposed to do, but also what you're expected to do. It's not just what you must stay away from, but also what you must do. Again, let's, let's think of category of rest. You know, we want to have mastery over body. It means that you know when to go to sleep or you know when to wake up. Some people choose not to rest because they're lazy, and some people choose not to wake up because they're lazy. Because discipline requires self-control. Your body dictates, uh, who dictates you? Is it you or your body? You need rest. And again, you, that's going to look different for some of you. Some of you guys can sleep for four hours and you go. Others can six, others eight. Whatever works for you. God has built you uniquely and differently. But the point is that you have mastery over your body. You have self-control. You need enough rest so that you can do what you're supposed to do. You don't work so that you can enjoy the, pl- the, the pleasures and leisure of the world. Rather, you rest so that you can recharge to do what God, what's glorifying to the Lord. And honestly, if you don't know how to, if you have no self-control, especially in the area of rest, that just probably means you idolize it. You, you, you don't want to sleep because you have some leisure that you would enjoy or you don't want to wake up because you don't want to, you, just, you don't want to go to work. You rest as long as you like. You idolize rest. I think the principle is that you need to rest as long as you need. But in order to do that, you need to have self-control. Because even the, when Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, when he's talking about disciplining his body and make it his slave, he knows that. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He knows when to get up, when to sleep, what to eat, what not to eat, what diet, whatever. He knows how to do those things for the sake of winning people to Christ. Or about your purchases. What, does, what are you willing to purchase how you spend, again, reveals what's in your heart. Whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where entertainment, I've made reference to this, the things that excite you most. Do you, are you excited for more about the things of the world or the, 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 the distractions of the world? Or are you looking forward to the things that has to come? Can you say no to certain entertainments? The Christians must always set their eyes on the things above and not on the things of the world. You must not be mastered by anything in this world. Again, what, mass, what, what controls you speaks volumes about you. If you call yourself a Christian, the only one that should have mastery over you is the Lord, is the Holy Spirit, is Christ. It's not the things, in the, uh, things of the world. Even to non-Christians, they would be impressed if you said no to certain things because our culture doesn't have any self-restraint. And for you to live in such a way saying, no, I'm not going to go there with you. No, I'm not going to eat that, or I'm, I'm not going to drink that. No, I'm not even going to talk like that. That speaks volumes to your character. And if you want to be a good steward of your body, use your body in such a way that wins people to Christ. I think to conclude... In order for you to be good, steward your body. You cannot use your body to sin against God. You must never also use your body and understand that your body is not your own. And lastly, you must never be mastered by your own flesh. And again, as Christians, we understand the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is self-control. You need to have self-discipline. And this isn't to say that I have it all together. I'm in the same boat. I understand the struggle. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get lazy. Sometimes I, I don't want to sleep. Sometimes I don't want to wake up. I understand the struggles that you guys all have. And this is something that we all need to encourage one another to have, to have self-control. 
understand that this life, this short life, this vessel that we possess is not going to last long. There is, and you know, if you notice, you're going to age. In fact, Paul talks about that later in 1 Corinthians 15, how the body is perishing. And if we know that this is a very short life, we want to maximize the life that God has given us and this physical body that he's given us so that we can glorify him the most. In some cases, it, uh, it means that you, got, you should be willing to give up certain liberties. You, you should w- be willing to say no to certain food and drinks, not because these things are inherently wrong, but that you're not controlled by whatever craving that, that, and impulses that comes to your body. All failures of stewardship of, of the body, if you think about all failures, of uh, uh, all the things that uh, God has given us, it's really just a distortion of what God has said is good. Rest is fine. Food is fine. These things are fine. But our sinful nature and our sinful flesh sometimes distorts those things, and we desire more of those things more than we are than more than God permits. Being a good steward of your body will demand a lot from you. It will require you to think critically and introspectively, and you have to look at all of these things with a biblical lens in order to give God full glory. Again, this is not to say that you're not doing this because you are trying to earn your way to heaven. No, that's done for you in Christ. But understand that because you, are, you and I are both in Christ, that must mean that we are mastered by the word of God. The Holy Spirit enables us to submit to him, to have self-control. And we, if we do these things, I trust that you can, be, you can use your body and for the glory of God. Let's close our time in prayer. Father God, we confess that there are moments in our own life where we fail, especially with our, our cravings and urges. Whether we're so thankful that you give us a lot of liberty, but Lord, work in our hearts and allow us to think where in our lives where we lack self-control, where we know that a lack of self-control is really a sign of, of a poor steward of the physical body that you've given us. Lord, we want to have that self-control. We don't want to be moved by our impulses, but rather be moved by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to do that because it, it best uh, glorifies you and honors you. And, and even our physical bodies, the way that we live, can be used by you to win people to Christ. And Lord, help us. We know that our world does not care about self-discipline or self-control, but it's something that you expect of us as Christians. Help us in this area, and may you receive all the glory. Thank you for this time that we have today to hear your word. Uh, Allow us to be be mindful of how we live our life and have other people in life point out areas where they can help us see where we are where we are not, uh, where we lack self-control, Lord. Thank you for this time. In your son's precious name, amen.